but can you as an individual act globally? What is your your sphere of influence like? You can influence your zone zero, your immediate community. You know, yes, with technology you can influence a larger uh, following if you've built that following. Um, but start with where you are, and only then if we if we start looking at the, the doom and gloom and we start focusing on what we can do, we're going to actually start taking action to do things. Hey there, welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Out. I'm your host Jared Lazar. Ever wondered what it takes to step outside of a traditional job or career and chase your dreams? Well, good news, you are in the right place. Each week, I interview inspiring guests who've done something unconventional and have created an interesting, novel or unusual career for themselves. This last year in lockdown, if you were like me, you probably found yourself having so much more time in your hands and chances are you spent a lot of time on Netflix watching movies and series. At some point I found myself consuming documentary after documentary about our planet and the devastation we're doing to it. And just recently I watched the documentary about the fishing industry and the negative effects that it's having on our oceans. And by the end of it my conclusion was I'm just not going to eat fish anymore because it's killing free willy. But living in a city and having an urban lifestyle, I feel like there's this constant tension between my lifestyle and consumption patterns and the planet. And the more I think about it, the more powerless I feel. I mean, how can I meaningfully change my way of life in a way that's positive for the environment? And that's why I'm so excited to talk to my guest on this week's episode. Cape Town-based permaculture practitioner Imran Samuels speaks to me about his journey from dropping out of high school to becoming an award-winning permaculture practitioner and co-founding one of South Africa's leading urban permaculture platforms, Kerala House. Imran has appeared on a number of platforms to discuss permaculture and Kerala House, including Cape Talk Radio. He and co-founder Josh Porkita were also honored at the 2019 Ecologic Awards, winning gold for their work with Kerala House. Imran, it's it's so good to be speaking with you, and I'm really really excited to to have you on the show. Uh, how how are you today? I'm good, man. I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. I'm a little bit nervous at the moment, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited. Very excited. I love I love talking. Um, I make my money talking. <laughs> um, so yeah, man. I'm I'm very excited. So before we dive into your story, I really would like to just first understand permaculture a little better what is permaculture it's I, i'm guessing it's you're not just talking about like planting a vegetable garden you know in your backyard it's, it's a little bit more involved in that right every single permaculture practitioner that you come across um they'll have their own definition for permaculture as it is in any industry right. um but to me it's a it's a design framework so it's a design framework for combining or finding the meeting points between um, ecological contexts, um, social contexts, as well as economic contexts. So finding that sweet spot between the three um, so that we can do things on the ground that degenerates all of those three spheres. For me personally, the sustainability field has had its focus on the ecological aspect, which is necessary, but it ultimately is not effective in, in, its, in its objective if it doesn't take into account the social aspects of the human aspect, as well as the economic aspect, which connects all of the humans, you know. It's a set of ethics, which is people care, 
earthy and shedding the surplus. So using that generative um, surplus and plugging it back into the system so that we got that so that we end up with neg entropy. So not the movement towards um, things losing energy, but the actual creation of, of more and more energy, you know. So it's, it's those three ethics, and then there's a set of principles. There's depending on who you speak to, there's between 12 and 20 principles, just design principles of how you've got to look at challenges or adventures, as I like to call it, um, and, and use these principles, these design principles for coming up with um, or for filtering out um, solutions and finding the ones that arise that's ideal for the context, so context-appropriate solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it started in the 1970s by uh, two guys named um, Bill Mollison and uh, David Holmgren. So they are Australian academics and they travel the world to indigenous cultures um, uh, in an effort to see, to kind of tackle the global agricultural, the global industrial agricultural system. I think this was in the 70s or the 80s where we were starting to see the the shortcomings of our global agricultural system. But uh, we had examples around us of indigenous cultures that um, could still sustain the the societies, they could still generate surpluses, but uh, not at the expense of the ecology around them, not at the expense of the human connections around them. So they traveled the world, they they put together this body of work known as permaculture, um, literally collecting these different concepts, these different practices that ensured um, regeneration across the ecological front, the social front, and the economic economical front. But yeah, but basically how we teach it, it's, it's basically indigenous knowledge systems, things that people have, and their ancestors have known and have been practicing for millennia, um, but has been lost in, in a recent modern um, culture as we try to civilize ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people come to our workshops or when we train people, it's like, oh man, but my grandparents used to do this or my parents used to do this, you know. So it's, it's not new things. It's things that we've been doing for, for thousands of years. And so how I like to, when I, when I teach my students, I like to say that anytime that you are generating services, that when you are practicing the regeneration um, with people key and earth key as your as the two main criteria. Um, for me, that's practicing permaculture. Like I think what you're doing with this podcast, it's, it's, it's practicing permaculture. You're actively um, assisting humanity to generate itself, you know? So when you say regenerating, I mean, it, it's it's not necessarily specific to the, the earth and kind of regenerating, you know, land and, and so on. But I mean, that, that's obviously, it, it, it feels like from what you're saying, that's a big part of it, right? We kind of are giving back to to the earth in some way so that we can live a little bit more sustainably almost. Yeah, no, look, I mean, it started with the earth there eh? because that's our resource base. Like um, we can't survive without our resource base and the majority of it comes from the earth, all our natural resources and that. Um, so that's that's the thing in the book um, when we market our courses, market our workshops, it's come and learn how to garden. Um, when people come to the courses, they realize it's, it's way more than that. Like you start off with um, pursuing, growing some of your own food, um, if not all of it, and then you move on to water systems and you're like, okay, how do I take care of my health? Um, and then it moves into, oh, habitat, like 
I want to build sustainable homes, sustainable communities, and then it brings in the, the communal aspect, the, the social connection. Um, so yeah, like people, when they come to the course, they see that it's, it's, it's much more than just gardening. So anytime like um, when I hear people approach me and they, like some clients approach me, like, oh, we want to set up a permaculture garden, then I often like, oh, okay, um, what's your understanding <laughs> of permaculture? I can go to a monoculture farm, a farm that is growing just one particular crop. And depending on the context that they're practicing in, that might be the absolute best practice for the context. And for me, that would be permaculture. But for me, it's ultimately regeneration. When you regenerate in the ecological aspect, the social aspect, the human aspect, and the economic aspect, which seems to be the system which um, facilitates uh, exponential connection between people in this global world that we live in. You know, from, if you are facilitating regeneration in those three spheres, you're practicing permaculture. There's so much in there, and, and I really want to unpack all of it. Um, so, so we'll, we'll get there in stages. Before we chat a bit more about like how Gorilla House came to be, and you know where you first encountered permaculture. I think it's important just when we're laying the groundwork to understand, you know, like where does Guerrilla House fit in with how you've just understand permaculture and, and or, or rather where does permaculture fit in without within what you're trying to achieve uh, with Guerrilla House? So I did my um, permaculture course in 2014. So your typical permaculture course is about a three week, two week to four week um, course. Yeah, it's known as a permaculture design course. So it's like a international rough standard for the course you go through to get this permaculture design certificate. And I did this at SEED, it's an NGO in Mitchell's Plain. Um, they offer fully bursaried uh, permaculture courses. Um, so I was blessed to, to be accepted onto this course. Um, and you didn't, uh, or experience in this course. Um, so firstly, one of the biggest uh, impacts it had on me was how it got people from so many different walks of life to connect and and find common ground mm. first and foremost i mean like literally by day three we felt like we were family we were in tears and this was also largely due to um our facilitator her name's alex kruger um been practicing since the early 90s if not uh, 80s um and she's very very good at facilitating connection right. between people that was one of the biggest things that impacted me i was like yeah this is the first time I mean, I'm I'm so-called, uh, if you if you use the term of well, the terms in apartheid, like so-called Cape Pallid. Um, but I didn't grow up really on the Cape Flats. Like I had a privilege, a relatively privileged upbringing. Um, you know, my dad was an engineer, a relatively middle-class family. Um, and yeah, I'm going to the schools on the Cape Flats in Mitchell's Play. Got people from the township, from the Cassie, got people from um, affluent areas, like all the different walks of life, and like the ability to get people to see each other. I was like, yo, this is this is one of the biggest um, trickily magical things that I've ever experienced, Luke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so that really taught me. Um, but what I realized as well, myself and my my business partner, who I met at the course, Josh Josh Pukita, um, and we were friends like from day one. What we realized was that there was a gap in this this market. Um, so most of these courses they cost about ten to twenty k, um, and it's about a two to four week um, investment. 
Plus, like the people that really need this, like the majority of them can't afford either the time or the money for it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so like, oh, here's let's let's address this gap in the market, let's offer shorter, cheaper weekend workshops. Um, that's very practically focused. Um, and so that's that's where we started, you know, like we condensed that three to four week um standard permaculture. Um, course into a two-day intro to permaculture course, which was our flagship course, um, and we were charging like one fifty. Bit of uh, learning lessons there on the funding model, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we were into the market, you know. Um, and yeah, like uh, the biggest thing that we found, or the biggest benefit that we got, was actually crowdsourcing our own learning. So we put this platform together, and we called it a platform, but it was literally. If you want to use a, a colloquial term, it's a gathering. It's a gathering of people. It's a community learning experience where we've done the work of finding tangible results in specific topics, like, for example, basic soap making, or basic gardening, or basic um, water harvesting, whatever it might be. We found some tangible results. Um, we've packaged it together into a, an hour-by-hour hour workshop. And we put the cost together and we put it out there, minimum participant numbers for us to cover the costs. Um, but the learning experience, it's completely participatory driven. It's completely crowdsourced through the through the, the people that show up to the, the workshop. Um, and so, yeah, so that's the market that we addressed. Um, we were really successful. I mean, we've been, we've been profitable from the start. Margins have been very, very yeah. slim. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it unfolded organically. You know, it started as a little garden party for my birthday in June 2015. And we put that out onto Facebook and Instagram. And then people were asking us, hey, I want to learn more. Um, and then we started doing, we did like two free workshops just to start building a brand, you know. Um, and then people started coming. And then we, we did one a month. Eventually, people started asking for more diversity, like the soap making, like medicine making. We started offering workshops on those niche topics um, until eventually we were doing like workshops every weekend. Um, sometimes even twice a weekend, you know, a Saturday and a Sunday different workshop. Um, and from here due to people asking us if like those especially that didn't have uh, the time, money to come to our workshops, can we come and install something at this space? And so we then evolved to offer a design, consulting, implementation service for people. I've got to ask you. So, so the name, the name Gorilla House, it's quite interesting. What is, where was the inspiration for for that name? Like, where does it come from? Okay, so let me first start maybe with the permaculture. Um, one of the concepts that we use in the permaculture design, which is zoning, um, which is used in civil design as well. Um, but in permaculture, so basically, we've got a concept where we zone our time. Um, and we start from zero and we end at five. So if you're looking at like, let's say your home, where you spend most of your time is zone zero. So that's typically inside your home. Um, where you pass in daily would be your zone one. So let's say that's a front garden or whatever it might be. Zone two would be, you know, less time, maybe a couple of times a week. Zone three for the um, less okay, time, okay. zone four, you know, times five, least amount of time. So, for me personally, um, zone zero 
And this has to do with leverage, you know, like the 80-20 rule. You want to apply most of your efforts, most of your time in the places where you're going to get most of your results. So because you spend most of your time in your home, like whether that's a a mansion or something mm-hmm. transient, like or a walkie, um, like that's where you spend most of your time. So like that ideally should be where you generate most of your abundance from or most of your surplus from and so this is why I like the house aspect I mean we literally used my home um so this was before I was married living with my parents our home in Saudi state as our first um, case study um we, we with each workshop we we use the um, participants labor and the knowledge sharing to develop different systems within the on the land you know okay. so the whole site went from like white and sand to like a a thriving perennial garden, like his fruited nut trees, his grey water systems, his water harvesting, you know, there was mushroom cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, using your house as the center of regeneration. I mean, uh, I'm I'm sitting in my office at the moment, and this for me is like even within my zone zero of my home, like this is my zone zero zero. Like yeah, I sit here <laughs> and this is where I generate most of money, you know, so where I work from. So really like yeah, trying to focus on that. The gorilla aspect um, comes from this, uh, your eyes to be very anti the system. Um, I'm moving to one of the boys. Um, and in grade 10, when we had to choose our subjects for what we're going to, you know, our career parts, I was uh, planning to go into sustainable architecture, green architecture. So I did EGD, engineering, graphics design, um, uh, physics, and geography. And I was inspired at that time by things I saw on Discovery Channel. There was series on green architecture and stuff like that. Literally halfway through my great tenure, I came across Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, very popular book on finance in, I think it was released in the 1990s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it completely flipped my view of the world. Um, and I was like, I want to become financially free so that I can have the biggest impact on the world, you know? I mean, one of the core teachings I get from this work is that the system is so, so strong um, that the only way to beat it is to actually clock it. You know, you've got to win the system and then you can start to change it, you know, and build a new system. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that whole experience um, led me to a lot of... uh, anti the system, anti the government, the rabbit holes and stuff like that. So this is where the feeling of gorilla comes from, you know, like just <laughs> Got do what you want. <laughs> you know, like for me, it's like everyone is um, has the right to live an abundant life, you know, to live a life without uh, fear, without uh, expectation, without lack and to like find um, uh, self-actualization in their own way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the, the gorilla aspect comes to me. So initially it was like, ah, screw the government, screw, like, stop wanting to approach your local councillors and your leaders to change things. Like, just do it from your zones, you know, do it from your home, generate abundance and lead from example, you know. Something you've spoken about before is is that you've been, you were forced to, to drop out of high school. Um, you were at Weinberg Boys, as you say, and but but you were forced to drop out of high school, I think it was in grade 10 or, or grade 11 at some point. Um, 
because of funding issues? Um, so yeah, my grade uh, 2009, I was in grade 10 at Weinberg, so I finished that year. And in the following year, 2010, I moved to Abbots College. Um, but yeah, so 2010, come mid-year, June, World Cup was going on. Um, probably about a year prior, my dad tried to start his own business. So he's an electronics engineer by profession, a GDB engineer, um, and, but evidently didn't have um, enough business skills, you know? So it's, it's not transferable. Like it's all completely skills. Um, and so unfortunately, his business wasn't doing well. Um, and so, yeah, so much so that I, I had to drop out of school. But um, I say forced to drop out of school, but on the other end, I also forced them to keep me out of school, you know? Like there was lots of social pressure. And I'm sure like if I showed inclination, like they would have tried to get me back to school. We moved up to Joburg in June 2010 because it was more opportunities for my dad as an engineer. Um, and in that period, after reading the shit put, I was like, no, I'm not going back to school. Like, that is not what I want to learn. Like, what I told my parents, like, I gave them an ultimatum. Either you, um, and this is, I'm thinking of it now, it's quite an entitled <laughs> request. Either you um, ensure I've got internet connection and I'll show you that I'll make success of myself. Or if you put me back into school, I'm not going to perform. Like, I'm literally not going to um, work or do anything. <laughs> and it was like, yo, man, like, shame up. I feel so bad now. Like, uh, I'm so guilty because, like, it was so much social pressure. Like, all my fam, all my friends, like, knew about you at school. So I'm just thinking back as to how difficult it might have been yeah. for them to allow me to do this, you know. And, and what do your parents say to that? I mean, how do they react? Look, they were they were really hot at the time, you know. Um, but they, thankfully, and one of the things I'm so grateful for is that they recognized my passion. They recognized my um, zeal um, for and and like um, confidence in knowing this is what I want, you know. And thankfully, I, I don't think I gave them much choice. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they allowed me to to do that, and literally, dude, like. From June, so I was in Joburg for nine months from June to uh, when was it March, May, April uh, 2011. That was the most productive time of my life. Um, I scheduled my time like from six o'clock in the morning till 10 p.m. at night, like my own topics and subjects and things that I wanted to learn about. So it was self-development, personal growth. It was um, low, like I was very much a... Um, Uh, a cannabis, um, uh, what's the word, fanaticist. Um, like I was, I was very much into um, anti-prohibition and trying to fight the cannabis laws. So right. I had these right. legal books on cannabis and one of my subjects. Music was one of my subjects, um, and being business and finance and investing. And like I said, I mean, the cool thing I, ha- I had no distractions um, because I wasn't at school. I had no friends there. Um, so I could actually go about the time to like just do that Monday to Friday, sometimes even weekends, actually often weekends, um, mm-hmm. just going through my own things. That I'm so, um, so yeah, it was the most productive time of my life. And uh, yeah, I think it set me, on the, on, set me up on the trajectory for where I am right now. The downside though was um, not having that social connection because I'm not being right. in school. Right. Um, Lots of friends here. I was with my girlfriend at the time. 
kind of long distance thing. And that was very difficult. Um, a lot of my, even today, a lot of my insecurities, um, yeah, come from that through my experience then not like, um, not building experience of, um, of, uh, yeah, my own self-worth um, mm-hmm. because of not experiencing that in a social setting, you know? So yeah, yeah. I'd come back here and I'd like, limited resources do and like come back to Cape Town get invited to events and stuff like that and I'm like oh I don't have clothes and what do you for this event and like feeling so worthless um so yeah there was a downside of it it's like I'm not getting that, that experience to 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 build my my social um uh, conditioning my social yeah, yeah. Uh, strength you know yeah, yeah. so I, I mean it's it's fascinating and and I guess we always hear stories about, you know, people that have done these amazing things with their lives. I mean, I, I quote the obvious examples in the States about, um, you know, founders of businesses that dropped out of high school to, to focus on that. But it sounds to me like you, as difficult as it was, um, and in as much as you felt like there was a lot that you maybe missed out on, you also probably like gained a lot. You had as you said, that freedom to like really discover yourself and what you were interested in. And, and there was no boundary to, to what you could kind of get exposed to. So that, that's actually, that, that's such a fascinating thing. So I'm just picturing you at this point in your life and you've got all these, like, as you say, you know, radical ideas floating around in your head and, and you, you almost are like completely unchained as far as like the future is concerned and like what you can do with yourself and, and all of that. How do you how do you go from from that to becoming interested in permaculture to then founding Kerala's? Very very fascinating question. Dude. Like I, I ask this, myself this question often because <laughs> I, I also don't you know like where the switch came. Um, so after that nine months of being in Joburg, um, excuse me, I moved down to to Cape Town. Stay with my brother partly or mainly because of uh, the very strong need to be with my friends and my girlfriend at the time. Um, And uh, so, moved in with my brother. And uh, in that period um, of staying with him, I was going to pursue investing, yeah, because that was was my focus uh, from 2010. And the Richard Pura, I wanted to get into property investing, I wanted to become financially free, passive. And so moved in with him in town. We lived in a bachelor and was really pursuing the, the, the financial freedom aspect, the property investing specifically. So we started with my family, my mom, my dad, and my brother. We started um, largely driven by me, um, putting the team together. So legal um, uh, property attorneys, um, estate agents, and stuff like that. And literally in the process of doing this, I don't know, like... Um, experiencing the, the intensity of the capitalist system and how I didn't resonate with it at that time. There was just a day where I woke up and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to stretch my soul in the system and clock it for what I ultimately want to do, is, which is, you know, see people empowered and see the world regenerated. And so I just dropped it. Like, I I, I just dropped it, man. I, I still to this day because I'll, I'll circle back on it because it's so important. Mm, um, I dropped it into the beginning of 2014. I was like, guys, I'm not, that my heart doesn't feel interested in this anymore. 
and then from there it was like how else do we clock the system and sustainability and that's when I found pump culture just you know searching on Google um, and so yeah so that then led into me getting onto the course at Seed in 2014 um, that was in about June 2014 I got onto the course um, and then that set me onto a trajectory with uh, pump culture and sustainability um, now circling back um, after now, 2014 is now 2021, seven years of practicing permaculture and carving out a career for myself in that field um, and working for this NGO last year or the past almost three years um, and experiencing burnout. It's come full circle in that my heart now is back at financial freedom because I could deepen and explore my interests within permaculture so yeah, yeah. gardening water harvesting like I love building things I like I like making stuff you know like construction DIY I also found that I love business systems so I really love setting up business systems and stuff like that mm-hmm. so I could do that in that exploration period but the expense was time right. you know um, for all of the that exploration all of that pursuit I needed to exchange time. And when you have limited resources, especially financial resources, that is your, your biggest resource is your time. Like you can never, ever, ever get it back. Yeah. Um, and so in this experience of burnout, like that was that was so so fulfilling. That was so um, beneficial to my professional development to have done what I did. But now is the time to stop pursuing that. Um, and start focusing on passive income so that I can free up capacity, free up my time. Because if I did continue that way, like I mean, my mental health, which had really yeah. taken a toll, my emotional yeah. health, my physical health, I don't know, like it would have been, yeah, it was, been really, it was very scary last year. Um, you know, like if I didn't make the decision, um, yeah, things would have been very, gone very, very difficult. And so, yeah, like what I'm finding myself now, and the cool thing is that there's, there's, there's lovely synergies between myself and my wife. Like she studied hospitality management and she really loves that um, facilitating guest experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got experience within habitat, within sustainable systems on a residential way home front. And now we've seen, okay, like one of our goals before the end of this year is to get into property investing. So to have our first um, rental property before the end of the year. I was like, man, everything that I've learned in film culture, if I apply to property investing, will bring value to the people that are in our properties. So like yeah. if we can lessen the load, electricity consumption, water consumption, um, and we can improve the standard of living by creating, you know, this habitat that is secure, safe, this high-speed internet, um, you know, like, that's all coming full circle. Um, yeah, this has yeah. been such a crazy journey. One of the tricky things right now is that um, there's so much demand for, I'll speak for myself, like, there's so much demand for, for me and my services. Um, because of the brand that I've, uh, I've built for myself out there. Gotcha. Um, and I'm like, fundamentally, I'm in the space where like, I don't want to take it on. Like, it's so necessary right now. Um, lockdown showed us how broken or, or, or how ineffective our current system is at feeding people, at housing people, at 
providing to people. Um, and so there's so much people coming to me and coming to Google House, like, you know, we want a community garden, we want this, we need this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm finding myself like, if I take your project on, after, and without building the last as an actual business and not just some self-employed gig, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to burn out again. Ultimately, I won't have as much impact on the world as I could have if I actually built a business system. Yeah. I mean, I've trained now, good luck, trained over a thousand students, I think one five, through CBI work, which trained over 150 people. And every single one of those individuals has amazing potential to help other people um, bring regeneration into their lives. So I think my focus is at the moment, I want to build the last as a platform where people with need um, mm-hmm. in the sustainability field uh, can be plugged or connected with people with skills, people that we've capacitated um, through the, or people that have been capacitated through film culture programs and that. Yeah. I, you've touched on so many important themes there. And, and the one thing that struck accord with me was what you said about um your your time and and how you invest your, your time into this thing and and how you can essentially never get it back and and it's something that i've always wondered about you know when when you were googling permaculture and at some point must have figured out this sounds really interesting this is something that i want to get involved in and i want to learn more about it and and there's an opportunity here for me to do something to to make that decision something i always picture myself thinking through is that process of okay well to make this thing work i've got to invest time into it and there's no guarantee really that like it's going to pay off was that ever like did that ever factor into your into your thinking at all yeah i would say maybe um but like honestly thinking back um having no like uh, uh difficult emotions on that i'd say no like, i think the emotions mm-hmm. i experienced at the time was like this is what the world needs and this is ultimately where people are going to um, go. Um, um, it's like, especially on a financial front, you know, like uh, our biggest hook is that using the economic system to 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 scale to to scale these practices. I honestly feel like if I could offer a, a salary to every single youth in Mutual Spain um, and and um, get them to. Like their job is to build gardens. I can guarantee you every single youth will run towards that job. Yeah. yeah. So like my focus is like we need to sustainability and regenerative um, practices profitable that needs to be able to provide people with the right livelihood so that they can see that this like making money um doesn't have to be unethical. Um and you could actually make money doing something that's good socially, that's good ecologically. So yeah, like I've always felt at the time, especially because of, I think, at Weinberg, actually, um, in my geography classes is when I came across climate change and the general mainstream narrative at the time was really doom and gloom, um, and it still yeah. is to this day. And I think that set up a passion for me, or, or, or set, ignited a passion for me, a fire for me in that, like, if we don't do things now, like, in our lifetime and our future generations, you know, experience a very challenging world, you know, since then, like now this it's going there. And every single yeah. year, one year, um, I've seen much more demand for sustainability, much more people realize, oh, this is important. Um, and again, it's not just the ecological aspect, it's in our urban spaces, in our cities, it's the human aspect. Most yeah. important is like, yeah. oh, we need community. 
we need to be able to connect with each other. And uh, the lockdown really brought us to the fore. Like, sure, um, when I did my course in 2014, um, it took us quite a bit of effort to build the brand of Grillas. Now, um, you can start the garden, start the Instagram page or Facebook page, and you'll have within a week, thousands of followers like, oh, we want to assist, we want to get involved, we want to do something. Yeah, yeah. It just, it makes human sense, man. Like if we really want to continue this game of humanity, you know, like life, uh, uh, inspires more life, then we've got to take care of these things. But if I go to grassroots, I go to the ground, I look at people, I see, wow, this guy is making a garden and making a, a living for himself and family. Yeah. like, care about global climate change. Like, yeah. this person is doing it for themselves right now, you know? Um, and uh, that, for me, that should be where the focus is. Like, um, there's, there's a lot of focus on the globalness of it. Which is important, which is don't get me wrong, like it's, it's completely important. Mm. But can you as an individual act globally? We, what is your, your sphere of influence? Like you can influence your zone zero, your immediate community. You know, yes, with technology, you can influence a larger uh, following if you've built that following. Um, but start with where you are. And only then, if we, if we stop looking at the doom and gloom and we start focusing on what we can do, we're going to actually start taking action to do things. I've always felt that when we talk about climate change and this doom and gloom message, like you've like you've said, um, it just I can always feel so far away. You know, like if mm. the ice caps are melting, that's literally on the other side of the world almost. But to get people to buy into this idea of sustainability and and really like making a change on a micro level in our own lives, you almost have to, if I'm understanding you correctly. It, you kind of bring that into people's lives and you, you allow people to have skin in the game. You know, if, if they are connecting their surroundings and, and the ecology with, like you said, the, like the social connections, um, the, and, and importantly, the, the economic aspect of it, then it almost feels like you can get people to buy into that far easier than saying to them in 40 years time, there's not going to be any fish left in the ocean or, you know, New York is going to be underwater because, like, that, that just seems so remote. No, exactly, man. Like, um, that's why for me, in my journey, one of the biggest leverage points that I've seen is that if you can show people that you can make money doing this, they will run towards it, you know, in general. Um, or we drive for people because we are, are, are embedded in the system that's based on, on, on money, you know, financial capital. Like, we need to meet people where they are. So, yeah, like, I'm, I'm completely not a purist. Like, people, meet me and, and like uh like oh, this dude is just like a typical young colored bra from from cape town you know? like yeah like we need to show people that it's not about becoming this pure holier than thou yeah. sustainable person if you got to use plastic for your packaging because that's the best thing for your context right now use the damn thing you know um like we need to understand that people are where they are because of the conditions. Um, so first and foremost, we need to connect with them where they are, you know, um, and connect with their priorities. Often we tell our students, like, uh, um, if a job, if you get a job while doing this course, and it's the most important thing for you to get that money, to put food on your table for your kids, for your family, take that job, you know, leave this course, go and do that. Um, because you're focusing on your zone zero. Um, you can't take care of your 
your zone zero, like if you, you don't have your basics taken care of, you know. So I, I mean, it's the point, I guess, that, that I'm taking from that is that there's no absolutes, right? There's, there's no there's no space for there to be moral or ethical or whatever absolutes. Um, and and to come full circle, so I, I've got into this unhealthy habit of asking the guests on the show, um, like what advice they would give to, I don't know, young up and coming people that, you know, are maybe looking to get into the space or, or to follow in their footsteps. I'm not going to do that with you, but I'm going to ask you a, a slightly different question um, to that point about absolutes and, 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 and coming full circle. 16-year-old Imran in grade 10, um, or 16 or 17-year-old Imran in, in grade 10 or 11, reading Ditch That Poor Dad, and being so captivated by this idea of, of the system and, and you know, making change. After your journey from then until where you are now, what if, if you had to meet that version of you, like what what is that conversation gonna be like? What do you say? What advice do you give? What lessons do you teach? You know exactly what's what's best for you right now, you know. Like I'd, I'd encourage my younger self to just stick to that journey. Um and like yeah, I'd encourage younger emo to Stand in his own strength, like, uh, don't worry about your ideologies even or what other people are saying. Um, if your heart is, is there and property investing at that time, go if your heart switched in one day to permaculture, go great, you know. Um, yeah, like, I would change a thing. Um, in hindsight, I'm sure I would have been much, haven't had much further impact than I if I stuck, stuck to the property investing and the financial freedom. But I wouldn't change a thing. I think we are emotional beings. We are driven by our, our emotional chemical states. And, um, and the best way to create is to really become aware of, of what you're feeling. Yeah, so whatever's driving you, follow the drive. You know, like don't try to, to jump ship um, if the heart is there. And that's it up on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. If you'd like to help support the show, please do also share with others on social media and leave a rating and review on your preferred listening platform. This has been the Breaking Out Podcast and I've been your host, Jared Lazar. Until next time. If you want to find out more about Guerrilla House, uh, head over to their social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find them at Guerrilla House. That's G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A House.